Hello, my name is Sam Taylor and welcome back to the Peg Barn Grill podcast. This is the second part of our interview with LaShawn Thomas. So if you haven't listened to the first part of our conversation, I strongly recommend going back and checking out last week's episode. In fact, I'm not even going to introduce LaShawn. The introduction is in the previous episode, so I'm just going to go ahead and play the tape. Thanks again to LaShawn for coming in and talking to us. Thanks once again to Wesley Louie for sitting in for Tim. Enjoy. Within your understanding of the way people perceive uh, anime, what do you like about it and what do you not like about it? Um, you know, for me, my, my infatuation with anime, animation from Japan is largely a technical love relationship. I have a, a technical love affair with it, um, and largely because of my deep love for TV animation production. Um, uh, I just love the fact that they look at the medium of 2D animation as the same way we look at the medium of live-action filming. Yeah. The cutting, the staging, the, uh, the camera work. Um, even to this day, it's something that just blows me away. Like even when I look at a show like Space Dandy, I find myself constantly trying to come up with ways to like, like look how they're using the camera. Man, they did this weird tracking shot where the character almost falls off frame, but then the camera catches up to him. Like I'm just really, but that's like one of my biggest things about uh, uh, animation from Japan is largely. Um, the way they move the camera, the way they design characters, the way they move the char- you know the way they move the characters, so to speak. From a story standpoint, um, there's some stuff that's my that fits my taste, and there's some stuff that doesn't fit my taste. You know, I'm really big into high concept stuff, fantasy, sci-fi. Um, there are some shows that are that are like right up my alley, and then there's some shows I'm just like, what the hell is this about? <laughs> you know, and that's one of the things that I admire about that medium is that they always they look at animation largely, in my opinion, compared to the United States, as uh, more than just a means to entertain children, but as an art form. You know, there's a lot more. Uh, uh, I mean, they have standards and practices over there as well. They have animated shows that come on at night, animated shows that come on during the day for kids. But it just seems to be a little bit more open-mindedness in terms of like art style and approach and technique and trying to push the envelope as camera work compared to here. You know, it's, to here. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because um, actually I never really, I, I knew why I liked anime, but I never, no, I didn't know that. I, I couldn't understand the reason why I was into it more than maybe, you know, the, you know, the, stuff that comes out of Disney and stuff. But then I remember seeing an interview with Peter Chung and he was talking about how it's just more cinematic and how you kind of stage the camera and stuff. And whereas I think, you know, Western animation seems a bit more uh, theatrical. So you're concentrating on silhouettes and that kind of thing. That's right. Yeah, you know, so. um, it's, I mean, when you look at American shows, I mean, well, I think a big part of it plays into the age demographic, you know. There's a business there, boys six to eleven. You know, one successful show, you know, precedes another. If that's successful, everyone copies it. But the large, the the, the thing that I noticed when I was story storyboarding on a lot of these shows is like when you have action shows um, versus comedy shows. Comedy shows is like you said, it's rooted in stage play. You know, it's like two characters facing each other. Why did the chicken cross the road? So you can see the other side. Ha 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 ha. You know, it's a lot of two shots, not a lot of moving. It's like mm. a sitcom. You know, mm. everyone's in the living room. Yeah. There's very few. You know, location changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, with these sitcoms, and it's kind of the same way. Like, you know, um, versus um, my 
my love for comic book drawing, again, you know, from our earlier conversation, the idea of moving the camera around um, and like just that hand-drawn quality of, of animated cartoons from Japan that you don't really get to see in a lot of American art direction. Um, but largely, I'm in love with the way they, you know, stage and shoot the cameras, very cinematic, um, uh, a lot of avant-garde stuff. Um, they give the animators a lot of creative freedom. Um, and they're not particularly writer heavy, you know what I mean? Which can be a good or a bad thing. But that's like largely the biggest reason why I like it a lot. And it's, a, it's, it's the reason why I still watch a lot of animated shows today. Like I could not even be into a show, but if there's a right animation director or a good storyboard artist, I can use it as reference. Like, you know, um, there's, a, there's a TV show that I really love watching called Birdie Decode or Tetsuwan Birdie Decode. It's, it's a, a very obscure episodes. show. Yeah, yeah. It's like a mix between Men in Black, uh, Wonder Woman, and Rama One Half. That's how yeah. I describe <laughs> Tetsuwan Birdie Decode. Yeah. And it's, it's just, a, just a really cool animated TV show that just does a lot of unique fight sequences and stages and compositions and stuff. And the story isn't, 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 isn't terribly um, bad. But it isn't in incredibly awesome either. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a very straightforward show. But like I, I, I love watching it because it's just so well directed and so well staged and so well shot. Um, and when I watch for new animated shows, that's usually what I'm secretly looking for. It's like, okay, if there's a new director, I wonder if he's going to do something cool with the camera yeah. so that I can copy it. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. even today, I still copy stuff. You know, like I want to watch shows that make me want to copy it. And there's I mean, there's stuff you talk about anime being cin cinematic. There's stuff that um, that's done in in anime, which is uh, then been copied by people in live action cinema. I mean, The Matrix being a prime example, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's in, yeah. That's interesting because you posted that uh, on your Tumblr. The shot of Iron Man jumping off the oh, right, and then yeah, that's right. The yeah, do you know Apple. what he's talking about? I have no idea. He's talking about. I did a post where I I just I was watching Appleseed one night. It was right when I, I, I was. I forgot about that. I show was watching well, it. Yeah. I, you know, they. I think Shinji Shinji Ar, is it Shinji Aramaki? I can't. Oh, I'm. Let me pronounce yeah. his last name. I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Forgive me for pronouncing his name wrong. But Aramaki um, directed a CGI tune shaded Appleseed animated feature that came out in like 2005, yeah, or 2004. Yeah. yeah. And he did this scene that I had never seen before. It was like the dopest shit ever. It was like <laughs> even now, it's like it's like the only scene in the movie that I loved watching. And the movie itself wasn't my favorite thing because I have I'm in part I'm I'm, I'm partial to you know Mashimunashiro's comic book series. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of hard. It's kind of hard to envision that moving, you know, because yeah, the way yeah. he drew his stuff was so so rich, you yeah. know, in cyber technology and stuff. Um, but there's this one scene where where Yunin like runs off and the camera tracks and it's like a pro it's like three quarter facing her and then she runs off screen and then the camera catches up to her in profile and then tracks and follows her and she jumps out of this giant hole and then the camera just follows her all the way down almost like the way you would follow someone jumping out of a plane or like skydiving. And then as she's falling, this like cybernetic exosuit mech follows her and like connects to her in midair right before she hits the ground and then she takes off. And I was like, I watched that scene like a million times back in 2005. I thought it was yeah. the dopest thing yeah. ever. And I'm watching Avengers and Tony Stark jumps <laughs> out the window. It's like they copy the same shot in the Avengers of Tony Stark's falling, which was dope because right. it's an exosuit, you know, yeah, the parts yeah. fall yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But 
It's an amazing. Oh show. my god! So I was like, "Yo, this just just like the scene from Avengers." You know, Avengers came out in twenty what twenty twelve? Yeah, yeah. And Appleseed did it in two thousand and five, and it's like everyone was like, "Oh my god, this yeah. is crazy!" Like you know, with the chicken before the egg, who did this first? Yeah, yeah. And then I find the Masami Obari sequence, which I believe Aramaki got from Bubblegum Crisis episode six, Red Eyes, where Masami Obari has. Uh, uh, the main character from Bubblegum Crisis um, jump off of a building and her exosuit she, lands on her while she takes off. Obviously, they didn't have the... the, the it wasn't as much detail yeah, as far as the transformation, but, but yeah. it was like weird. Like you see this like the, 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 the egg before the chicken scenario. Yeah. Like who copied who? You know, yeah. It was like three yeah. generations. Because yeah. that came out in the 80s. Yeah. You know, the Appleseed yeah. sequence came out in 2005 and then... You know, the, the Avengers yeah. scene came out in 2012, yeah. and I just thought it was so dope. How, and then I had this funny statement afterwards with a tweet where I said, everything copies anime. Like, yeah. anime does everything cool, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. everybody yeah. gets everything from anime, you know? I just yeah. thought that was so funny. But I remember that tweet. That's really funny. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I tweeted it first, and it was like a long conversation. And then guess what? You know, I, I tweeted that, and then everyone was arguing, and I said, but wait, we got it from a, a Masami Obaru Bar- first. Yeah. And I grabbed the... the um. I created the gif of that scene from Red Eyes where she jumps off, where she okay. does it first from the, from the 80s. And I tagged Masami Obari to it because he's on Twitter. Okay. And then he liked it and then he follows me. It was oh like, my I was like, God, oh, really? Oh, like fanboy oh, moment. Like, like, it's so cool that he, like, he, you know, like it was like that really cool. Because he's got to be like 50, you know, yeah, he's yeah. much that's older amazing. than me, you know. So it's so cool that he's like seeing people oh, talk no about his own work. But yeah, it's like, that's a random, you know, sidebar. But Yeah, no, I mean, because I like, when I was, sorry to bring it to Ninja Rabbit again, but when I was like, there's a shot at the end where he does like the sword that's kind of like in a forced perspective. Sort oh, of you thing. mean the the Dangayo sequence where he forms a sword and then like yeah, and I and yeah. I've seen that and I was like, because he's the same things in Thundercats, right? Yeah, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. He oh, probably use that shot. from that too. Yeah, I don't want to use that shot because everyone's gonna say it's Thundercats. And then I found this, I found a, an article. It was like a two part article about Obari, and he talked about his poses and stuff. And there was someone put like together. A bunch of images where they've used that same sword the pose. The shot with Lionel, and like, loads yeah, yeah. of them. Like yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. right, I'm gonna do it, man. Yeah, it's, it's so crazy. It's, you know, it's yeah, it's amazing how like influential that guy is. Actually, I just you know, like man. the fact that you know who Masami Obari is. That makes me really oh. happy. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's I was like some. Like, I was really into Dangayo when I was oh, younger. Oh man, well, Dangayo so. was the truth, yo. Yeah, like yeah. that was like one of my first animes. But you know, I, you know, I, this is like a seriously nerd conversation right yeah, now. Yeah, I, yeah. I, we might be losing some listeners. <laughs> just like talking about. I mean, we might even lost you. We lost Sam. Sam's like we might lost my Facebook. I think we have about five listeners, and I'm pretty sure. But no, like, but yeah, that's a really good point. Like, but yeah. you know, it's it's you know, for me, it's like I'm always like constantly looking at stuff. And I, yeah. I always make it. I try to share as many of my influences. I let people yeah. know, like, this is who I'm copying. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Like, because I don't have any fear of them being aware of that. They're never yeah, gonna yeah. do it the way I do it. Yeah, they're not gonna yeah. be as up. They're not gonna be the same rip off that I am. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Only I can rip off the stuff the way I rip it off. Yeah. you know what yeah. I mean, so yeah. to speak. But yeah, I'm always. But it's interesting that you use those words to kind of describe how you. I mean, people are like, oh, you know, I'm influenced, or this is my. But you're like, yeah, I copied this, I copied that. But yet, your work still feels very. I mean, it's a. I, I see a LeSean Thomas drawing, and it's a LeSean Thomas drawing. So, 
Well, you know, yeah. I think the big part of it too is like, you know, I've done some, I've done some traceovers in my time. Okay. Don't get me wrong, I've, I've, done, I've done some, some, some traceovers. But you know, for me, when I've I done do some that, LeSean stuff, Thomas traceovers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but the funny thing is, like, I used to have this practice too, where like I would just copy stuff, yeah, like just to see how it feels to draw certain draw, things. You okay. know, like I copy to learn, not to like say, oh, I did this. This is my work, so to speak. It's weird. You know? Yeah, it's weird. Like, I mean. Like from you specifically, it's weird because you were talking earlier and you were talking about how you like the creases and and I loved the way you did creases, like especially in um, your know, Arcanium comic. Arcanium. You know I what like, I was looking at when I did that, right? I had the art book of Armitage. You ever seen an anime called Armitage? I've got, I think I've got an art book of that. I, forgot well, the, I don't know the It's name like of a robotic. It. Yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah, story, it's a robot story. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, this, it's like this private eye detective female character yeah, 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 dressed right. terribly scantily clad. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've, like a, I've, got the, the, I've got like a model sheet. Yeah, whoever that, that designer yeah. is, he's really in love with that stuff. But, <laughs> but that character designer is the same character designer who designed the you know, designs for Appleseed, and he also yeah. was the character designer for the remake of Bubblegum Crisis. Okay. Um, I think 2021 or something like that. But that guy, I had the art book of Armitage, and I just loved the way he drew folds. Like, I yeah. just thought it, it was almost like that was his thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think it was a bit, I almost thought it was a bit excessive. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? But that was his style. Like, that's yeah. how you could differentiate his work. He'd have, like, creases, these, like, Almost like lightning bolt connected creases yeah. in the arm or around yeah. the ankles, you know, like bunched yeah. up, you know what I mean? But it was like very stylized, you yeah. know. Um, and I was just absorbing that stuff, looking at that stuff. So when I did Arcanium, that was the first time I played with that style. Yeah. I was like, I yeah. like this way this guy draws folds and armitage. Yeah. And, and then after a while, that became my precursor to like softening my shapes, softening my forms. Because when I was doing Arcanum, I was super sharp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, very, very angular. angular. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Rob Stahl, in general, like such a brilliant inker, he kind of added to that. So it was like a very extreme yeah. angular flavor. And then Chris Walker added like, he's like very like, like aggressive, like monochromatic colors. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it was a yeah. very, very unique look combined yeah. with like shapes yeah. and stuff. But the folds was the thing with Arcadia. Yeah. But I got it from, I literally stole it so from, from that guy. So the Armit, yeah, from Armitage. I, that's the one thing that's, because I mean, I, even now I still find creases hard to do, but that's the one thing. I, was, I love the way this guy does creases and stuff. It was the same with like a, a Joe, Joe Mad. Yeah, Joe Mad, yeah. Like, He's, his work is awesome, but I always loved the way he did the, you know, the three-quarter upshot. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. the way he did, because I struggled yeah, to draw yeah, the noses, the and the nose, like he, I just loved the shapes that he did. Yeah, I, was like, I mean, he, he did know. this drawing of, of a character from Battle Chasers called Brass, Brass Demure. Remember Brass Demure? He was like a, he was like a buff Dalsim. He was like blue with the gold. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, he was like yeah. pretty much like a and buff Dalsim. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had this like one upshot that I thought was just like, the, like yeah. he, his knuckles and the way he drew things, like I stole so much stuff from Joe yeah. Matt, like it was crazy. So yeah, I, I definitely copy a lot, you know. Even now, I'm like, I'll have my little like notebook of just like, you know, I'll like copy movies, copy compositions, yeah. or I'll copy an anime, I'll draw a face, and be like, how does he, how does he do that? You I remember know, you whatever. saying that about. Um, I think I was uh, there was an interview of you, and you was talking about uh, Fifth Element and how you would spend about three hours like going through the frames and looking for like yeah. composition stuff. Do you. Was that the only kind of film that you did that with, or you, it, it you was did a, that it for was it, it, it was it was a it was an emotional thing for me because yeah. I didn't feel comfortable trying to do something new with a film I had never seen before. Right, right. I'd watched Fifth Element so much that it just yeah. felt it was that was an easy movie for me to do that too. Oh, you know right, what I mean? okay. Because like, I was okay. just I love those scenes. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It kind of motivated me to like knock it out. This is, yeah. I'm, I'm, 
I'm weird like that. Like I, I couldn't. I, it's like it would have to be a movie that I really liked, that yeah. I enjoyed watching, because yeah. I had a really short attention span. I couldn't watch a movie if I didn't like a movie. I didn't want to like go through it. So Fifth yeah. Element was like for a long time like one of my all time favorite mm. like sci fi films, mm. um, and I just loved that. So I would watch like I'd like pause it, the beginning and the ending of every scene, yeah. and yeah. just copy compositions, not long drawings, but just to learn that. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. you know, I wasn't going to college at the time, so and I'm like, I got all this reference around me, I should just, like, copy this. Yeah. And then, I didn't learn, like, film terminology until, I mean, like, for storyboards until, like, you know, after, like, until, like, I started working on the boondocks. boondocks. For a while, I was okay. just going off of pure... You know, just instinct, gut and instinct. Yeah, like right, what yeah. I had watched so many films, I knew what it, how it, I knew when it was time to do an extreme close up and when to back away. Yeah, you know what yeah. that meant and so on and so forth. But it wasn't until I got into TV animation production that I had to start writing my direction and scene description for the animators yeah. and layout artists to follow. That I had to like really start learning. Like, okay, this is called a truck in. This is a truck out. This is a pan. This yeah. is a hookup. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Because yeah. as a storyboard artist. You, it's your responsibility when you're working on the show to fill out all your directorial information. Yeah, yeah. Largely because even though you have an animatic for executives to see, when it's time to ship overseas, the animators are st still working on paper. Yeah, yeah. So they have yeah. to know if it's going to be a truck in or a truck out, what's the running time, how long the scene okay. is, and stuff like that. So, but other than that, like, yeah, I used to just always copy movies. And Fifth Element was one of them. Yeah, that terminology, I still don't have it down. <laughs> I could just do you know instinct. what? Half the time, some like some director tells me to do a thing, like they're using the wrong thing. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know it, and I'm sure they don't know. It's it. like zoom, zoom zoom in on the x-axis. We, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh, we, we need a double helix here. <laughs> Hysterical. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, it's 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 hard work, but yeah, that's, yeah. I definitely copy a lot of stuff. So. Right. So how much do you how much you look at stuff outside of the world of Anime. Um, I look at quite a lot. I watch a lot of live action. You know, I watch a lot of you know HBO shows, Game of Thrones. You know, True True Detective. Um, a lot of comedy shows. What do you think of the features. new series of True Detective? No spoilers. Uh, I'm not trying to make any enemies here. No man. spoilers. I'm not trying to make any enemies. You know, here's my thing. Here's my thing about True Detective. If I hadn't seen the first season, season two would. That's a decent. Season two is decent to me, but because it follows season one, it's just unacceptable to many people, you know, because um, it wasn't that bad. I, you know, like I heard the fire and brimstone about season two, and I'm like prepared for it to be awful. So my expectations were so low that by the time I got through it, and I got through it relatively quickly, I binged it in like three days. I was like, oh, that's, it's not that it's bad. Not it's bad, just, yeah. not as bad as I thought it was. It's not great, but it's certainly not bad. If season if season two came out first, I would probably have gotten through it and said, it's an interesting show. Mm -hmm. Colin Farrell's in it, you know, Amy McAdams is in it. It's cool dramatic mm -hmm. drama, but you know, following season one, and it's just it's it it definitely sets you up for you know for disappointment. It's like watching The Matrix two first, you know, and then yeah, yeah, you're like, oh my god! If I had seen The Matrix two first, I'd be like, oh my god, this is brilliant yeah. like what is this dragon ball z like oh. multi like this is incredible but i have no qualms with the matrix you know i mean i mean you know if i if i'd seen matrix two and three first before one i would think it's probably one of the greatest things ever but yeah to yeah. me it's like interesting i never thought about it yeah, but see following the first one it's like oh it's man come on it. homies yeah, yeah. like you guys are killing me here yeah he, Neo is Jesus Christ at the end of the first one. Why does he not know what he's doing the first two minutes of the second film? You know, yeah. so I was, I, that was 
I was such a fan of that movie, like, like very apprehensive about sequels. But then, you know, it, it is what it is. But that being said, I watched plenty of stuff outside of that. But, you know, the problem was that I wouldn't watch so much anime if America was open to doing more realistic-looking animated TV shows. That's Realism seems to be super important to you. It's, it's, it's my taste. It's my particular thing. Right. It's what I like. You know, I'm a fan of film. I'm a fan of live action. I'm a fan of... At the core, I'm still a fan of drawing like comic books and that kind of stuff. I was never really into cartooning and caricature. I was more into like interpreting, you know, real form and anatomy, gesture and volume. And I think that's rooted in my love for drawing, you know, comic books. Yeah. And, you know, I've never been the guy to like want to draw Mickey Mouse or Disney. It's just a personality thing. Some people are really into soft shapes and you know, graphic design, you know, um, and some are into, like, depicting, you know, a sense of simplified realism. And I think anim what I love about animation from Japan is that it combines a little bit of both. I get to have my little soft animated shapes, but I still get to draw real people. Yeah. And that's yeah. kind of how I function. So, um, yeah. Do you ever see yourself going into any other styles or into live action? Um, I, I, I've, I've toyed with it. I mean, in my formative years, I was, I was a storyboard artist on, on um, I was an animator on Lizzie McGuire. I had to master that character design. You know, um, I was a storyboard artist on Kim Possible. And right. with these TV shows in the States, your storyboards have to be on model. You can't rush that stuff. So if you want to learn how to draw, if you want a storyboard for Kim Possible, you need to know how to draw her. And Kim Possible clearly is a more caricatured, two-shot, yeah. maybe three-shot type show. Yeah. You know, it's still a kind of stage show where characters are cropped at the waist, they're facing each other, talking, so to speak. Yeah. You know, sometimes the camera, would, the camera would track when they're doing flips and stuff like that. But for the most part, you know, um, you know, I've worked on Kim Possible. I've worked on Batman Brave and the Bold. That's a very, like, unique, you know, cartoon style that I had to, like, I had to draw in that style. You know, I couldn't draw, like, like Satoshi Khan on Batman Brave and the Bold, you know, he had to look like that style with the square shoulders and the square jaw and the big yeah. fists. And, you know, on Ninja Turtles, it's the same way. You know, yeah. it's it's different from drawing on board, drawing characters on Guardians of the Galaxy and then working on TMNT, where you're going from characters being thin and sort of like Bruce Lee in form mm. to Turtles, where they're all short, stocky so guys true. with big shells on their back and you still have to draw a clear silhouette. So... I guess what I'm saying is that I've, I've bounced from different styles depending on the project. I mean, as early as this year, I had to work on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, you know, I had to switch my style up a little bit to work on that, you know, because the characters are so short. And if you're doing hand-to-hand -hand combat with characters, silhouettes are very important, right, for it to be clear yeah. that you can see characters hitting each other clearly. And when you have you know, five-foot characters that are, like, you know, six inches wide and, like, thick arms and thick feet, how do you... Yeah, you know how do you stage that? How do you yeah. have two big shell turtles fighting each other and it look convincing like real people? You know, so it requires a bit of a style change. So um, I've done it in practice, but in terms of execution, it's not something I particularly want. I'm still chasing my influences, and that's the most important thing I actually wanted to say in this interview. Yeah, is that I'm still a slave to my influences, partly because I haven't actively had a chance to exercise them to success. You know, like Cannonballs is my first time doing the thing that I've always tried to do for the last right. 10, 15 years. And I don't know what's going to happen to me when I finish that pilot. Yeah. You know, I'm going to say, okay, well, I've gotten it out of my system. Now maybe I can try it for 12 episodes, you yeah. know. Yeah. But once I've achieved those things that I've been trying to do, like, where do I go? Do, have I blown my wad? Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. where do I go from there? So I'm still sort of a, a slave to my influences. And I think I've been trying to do the same thing for so long that now I have an opportunity to do it at the level that I would like to. 
Um, and who knows? I mean, maybe if we if this project gets done and it, if it ever goes to series, or if I finish the story, then <clears throat> I pray that I'm into doing something else. You know, <laughs> you know. So I just want to see Cannon Busters, man. I yeah. want to really see it. I mean, I um, and it's interesting. I was saying to you the other day about like you know, it seems that you're working with people that have inspired you to some extent. I mean, like the uh, the intro for Black Dynamite season two and. I was like, this looks really familiar, like the styling kind of thing. And I, you know, saw pictures of you for, with the uh, Imaishi. Oh, Hiroki Imaishi. How, how was Trigger. that? Because I mean, he's like, I'm a massive Green Lantern. Yeah, it fan, was. So. It was great. You know, that whole thing went. That whole thing got started. You know, the Hiroki Imaishi situation got started through. That was through John Steingard, who's the owner of Ars Nova. Ars Nova is the company that owns. <clears throat> Like dynamite property. Yes. I don't know very much about anime, but I know who uh, Hiroiki. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. like he's 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 the truth, man. Um, he's he's from so uh, the Canada style. Yeah, he's from like, the Can the Canada yeah, yeah. school. You know yeah. the the, uh, the missile circus. Right. right yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah. but um, he um, you know, uh, John Steingard, the owner of Ars Nova, or one of the owners of Ars Ars Nova. He can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Ars Nova owns the the rights to. The Black Dynamite property, the film, and also an extension, the TV series in conjunction with Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. And he also has a stake in a company called Ultra Super Pictures, which happens to be a collective of animation studios in Japan that do international, where they'll come together from time to do animation work projects internationally. And Ultra Super Pictures is comprised of, I think, maybe two other studios that could be wrong, and Sanzigan, the studio that does the the CGI shading, they did, um, Sanzigan did uh, Cyborg 009 CGI yeah, remake, okay. yeah, and they yeah, also yeah. did the CGI and uh, the Kill a Kill intros. Yeah. Um, and they do cool. a lot of cool CGI work. Yeah. Um, and Studio Trigger is also part of this collective called Ultra Super Pictures. When yeah. you watch Studio Trigger and you watch the credits in the ending, you'll see Ultra Super Pictures as credited as part of the collective. So John Steingart being in charge or having a stake in that company and owning Black Dynamite uh, got wind from Carl Jones that we were trying to do a new main title. And John was like, well, you know, we've, I'm paraphrasing him, but he's like, well, you know, we've got these, we've got these guys in Japan. You know, he didn't know Studio. I, I'm under the impression that he had no, no clue yeah. what Studio Trigger was. It was yeah. just a company he bought into that was a collective. And he was like, well, we got these animation studios in Japan. Maybe we can talk to one of them and see if they do an intro. And he sent us the website. And Ultra Super Pictures had a website with their demo reel with all their different studios' work. And I saw clips of like Kill a Kill. And I was like, wait a minute. Because I didn't know what Ultra Super Pictures was either. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yo, there's Kill a Kill in there. We got some animators from Kill a Kill working at Ultra Super Pictures. Let's hire these guys. Can yeah, we yeah. get these guys on the, the intro? And it turns out that it was Studio Trigger or part of it. And we were just like, I, at least I was. I was losing my mind. Like Carl Jones, I think he was aware of Imaishi because of, he really liked... Um, uh, Panty and Stocking Garden Belt. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> love the name in but, you know, I'm like a nerd with this. So I'm like, yeah. oh my God, you got Studio Trigger. They had just formed. This was yeah, like 2014 yeah, yeah. of last yeah. year, you know? So um, sure enough, he was like, yeah, that's Studio Trigger. You know, they reached out to Hiroyuki Maishi, you know, I couldn't um, see believe if he'd be that. interested in doing the main title. And he loved it because Imaishi is a big fan of American pop culture to begin with. I mean, Panty, Stocking, and Garden Belt was inspired by drawing together. He told me that, right. you know, that uh, American sitcom comedy yeah. with the you know fairy tale characters and stuff like that. The, the um, I don't know if you ever heard of the I'm show. I'm not aware of it. Yeah, no. but um, he was really into the project. He liked it because it was a, it looked like 
he said it looked he he liked he took on the project partly because it was an American project, but also because the style looked like Takeshi Koike's style, which yeah. he was inspired yeah. by when he did Dead Leaves. Yeah. So um it was he, just a cool circumstance. He was inspired by Takeshi Koike. Yeah, when he did wow. Dead Leaves, that's what he told me. So it was just a cool circumstance, you know what I mean, to like have that situation. So um, that to me was yeah. just incredible, man. I mean, he handed in his storyboards, and they're like super rough because layout is king over there. Yeah. You know, he doesn't get too detailed. Yeah, he, in his yeah I've boards. seen yeah. some of these Grin Logan storyboards, and they're really, really rough. And, yeah, he know, doesn't get too detailed, yeah. but I got them. And then um, by the we only had like a couple of months to turn it around. So by the time um, July rolled around, I had an opportunity to go out there on behalf of some friends, but also to meet Satellite to pitch Cannon Buses. Yeah, 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 but yeah. that same yeah. week was the week that I was going to stop by trigger to meet with Imaishi. I got a tour and then we sat down and went over the main title and I had to, you know, I gave him notes on things that we wanted to change. Yeah. So it was just a, a hap, it was just a certain opportunity to be able to meet him and, you know, you know, collaborate. But working on it was cool, you know. Um so yeah. Yeah. It was a good opportunity. Did you um sorry, just quick, did you actually oh, yeah. work with uh, Michael Jai White on for uh like Dynamite as well. Was he involved in the project? He was involved in the that? writing for sure. I mean, he was yeah. the main character, the voice. Yeah, of course. You know? yeah, but yeah. I mean, for me, like with, with Michael Jai White, like I would see him, he'd be around, we'd exchange a couple of words. I think I, I think I interacted more with Michael during season two than season one. Okay. okay. Season two, he would be in our meetings, you yeah. know, our, you know, production meetings and stuff like that, along yeah. with Byron Mims and stuff like that. Yeah. The guy would play um, Bullhorn. Yeah. Um, but like I didn't have a personal relationship with Mike. He was always cool. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you know, you see the guy more than once. You're only thinking about deadlines and production. Yeah, yeah. The only yeah, time course, I would see Mike was when he was with Carl. That was the only time Mike would come in when it was a story thing. So, yeah. um, I, and I didn't want to interfere with them. I just wanted to like just get, get the job done. Yeah, yeah, yeah get yeah, the job done. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. But yeah. So, just. I just wanted to make sure that we spend a bit of time talking about Cannon Busters. Yeah, whatever, man. Yeah, yeah, you guys, yeah. you can, let's, we can go ham and you can edit it however you want. So. Sure. So Cannon Busters, you spent uh, a little while talking about this uh, talk during Comic-Con. I was wondering if you could just explain the story to uh, us quickly. Um, the, the long short of it is a story about a lost robot who's trying to uncover her past in order to save the future of her world. It's rooted in her trying to be reunited with her best friend. She's a, she's a robot. She's a, a very expensive, high-end, royal friendship robot. She's programmed to be the best friend of the heir to the throne. She's been assigned to him since he was born. And in this world, like robots are kind of like, you know, dominant. They're there to assist a portion of the population. This kingdom is, you know, very rich. They have lots of money. They have, like, servants, you know. They don't have a lot of human service. They have a lot of robot servants to fix things. And at this point in the storyline, robots are kind of commonplace. And the story is a much bigger story, but it starts, it focuses on this robot girl who uh, is very best friends with this, the heir to the throne, this prince who's, like, 15 years old. And we're introduced to the storyline where... Um, there's a celebration, an anniversary of this thing called the New Deal, which technically is a, a fair uh, sharing of lands through like four or five different kingdoms. It's like a celebration of peace, so to speak. And on this anniversary, where the audience is introduced, at least in the original story, are introduced to these characters, it's introducing the king, introducing the kingdom, peace, this prince and her best friend. And right in the middle of the celebration, this 
mysterious sorcerer comes out of nowhere and just lays waste the entire kingdom. He's got this army of robots. No one can take him out. It's very powerful. And in this storyline, at this point in the story, magic is extinct. So no one knows how to kill this guy. No one knows how to fight him. He's unstoppable. And, you know, what ends up happening is he captures the king. He's looking for something. The prince goes in hiding with his bodyguard and his small crew of people. They're going to go to the nearest safe house called Gar's Keep. It's like a royal safe house to, like, rebuild, get support from neighboring, uh, neighboring kingdoms. So he's on this journey to go to this place called Gar's Keep. The main robot, her name is Sam, she's separated from the kingdom for the very first time. And she finds herself in the outskirts of the kingdom throughout the explosion and destruction. And she's, all she knows is that she needs to reach Gara Keep, Gara's Keep as well to meet the prince. So she's on this journey. She's never left the kingdom walls before. She's, she doesn't know anything about the outside world. And she sets on this journey to reunite with the prince. And she meets two other individuals along her path in like random haphazard ways, sort of like Wizard of Oz, that agree to help her get to her destination, uh, agree to help her get to the prince. But they all have their own reasons, you know? So it's sort of like the Wizard of Oz, but, you know, uh, a sort of roadshow aspect of it. And the story is basically just centering around these three characters in their journey together, trying to help this robot girl locate the prince. Yeah. And that's the basic crust of the storyline, the immediate, the A story. The B story is all types of, you know, political, you know, uh, 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 royal um, uh, sabotage and, you know, uh, uh, discussions of, like, you know, genocide and large themes of, like, loss of innocence and, you know, why are all the magicians gone? What happened to magic? You know, 200 years ago, magic was commonplace. Now they don't exist. And it's there's several layers of stories. But that's basically the story. It's about... Uh, two people who help this one girl try to locate, you know, someone very important to her for their own selfish reasons, you know. Um, it's a very, very simple storyline, uh, not unlike uh, Outlaw Star or Cowboy Bebop or Samurai Champloo. Um, it, it just, it harkens back to the types of stories that I like to, you know, I like to enjoy, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s and stuff. So it's pretty straightforward. There was one really in interesting thing that you said to me uh, a couple of days ago at Comic-Con where you were... Uh, talking about the fact that you worked on things like the boondocks and black dynamite which were slightly more directly satirical and they were taking on kind of like social commentary in a lot more of a direct way issues of race issues of uh, politics uh, and you felt uh, may maybe i'm mischaracterizing what you said but like you felt like you being able to talk about those things slightly more laterally gave you a little bit more freedom to uh to play with those ideas. Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, it's, it's kind of been the recent thing since this whole campaign got funded. You know, when I first launched Cannon Buses, I had a few people online who were familiar with my work. I mean, it's just natural. You know, when you make yourself accessible, people, you know, they think, it, you know, they want to tell you their opinions and stuff. And I'm cool with that. But if you, I, I got a good amount of people who are like, yo, so why isn't this like boondocks in Final Fantasy? You know, like they wanted it to be like, hood shit but in fantasy you know what I mean yeah, like yeah, yeah. but but I get it like you know it's like for me like you know when I think about this and I've talked I've touched on this a little bit you know like when, when I think about the amount of effort I put in my career in particular when you combine you know the years working on boondocks with the years working on black dynamite it's like seven years maybe seven and a half years mm -hmm. of just concentrating my energy on these like really really like tough um subject matters, you know, like mm. 
you know, and, and I always liken it to like say a Steven Universe, for example. Like think about the mindset you need to be in order to do a good episode of Steven yeah, Universe. Yeah, yeah. You you go into someone's cubicle, probably a Steven Universe, and they got all kinds of happy, wacky, fun shit, you know, uh, future boy Conan, Miyazaki's gem glow yeah. spiritual stuff yeah, like yeah. or what kind of mindset you need to be to do you know adventure time you know like it's just super cool very fun very positive yeah. adventure time's a little bit more darker than Steven Universe but I'm saying yeah. like there's a certain kind of content you're absorbing in order to be in the right mindset to do good work you know um, and the type of mindset you need to be in to do boondocks it's not necessarily a good place, you know, when you really think about it compared to animation. Like, our idea of what animation is, it's never something where you discuss race. Right, It's, yeah. like, taboo. Like, it's like, I always say animation is one of the last frontiers of social tolerance. Like, yeah. we have this fake veil. Like, everything's cool. But African Americans, for example, haven't really infiltrated animation the way we infiltrate music and talk about our issues in that aspect or yeah. sports where we you know make political statements yeah, yeah. in that aspect we haven't really penetrated animation yet as filmmakers yeah. you know it hasn't been a lot that's happened since you know 1969 you know mm -hmm. it's not a long time since the yeah. civil rights movement you know yeah. so it's it, it we haven't really penetrated animation that way and when we did quote unquote get Equality. We weren't rushing to make cartoons, yo. We were rushing yeah. to become doctors and lawyers, and you know, to try and bring that yeah. money back to the community. Animation is sort of a, I'd like to say, a white American hobby. Yeah. That's become a grand, expensive hobby, but a hobby nonetheless. A period that's something that we weren't really collectively educated on or involved yeah. in. And to be fair, no matter what you're white, black, or Asian, animation is still sort of this covert alchemy that we're not really educated on. It's not common knowledge to make a cartoon. That being said, um. When we got to a point, I felt doing Boondocks personally. I'm not speaking for anyone else. We were we were we were taking this thing that we thought was a safe medium, and talking about some really heavy shit. Yeah. And then we'd have to launder that heavy material into comedy, into satire. But you still need to mine this stuff in order to be able to be in the in the, in mindset, the mindset to do good yeah. work, and to be in the mindset of racism, systemic rate, you know, systemic, you know, bigotry and incarceration and you constantly have to be reminded about why we're in such a messed up position yeah. and, and, and slavery and, and, and like how do you take all of these really negative aspects of the African American or the collective black experience, quote yeah. unquote, be in a good space and then make fun of it for comedy. Because ultimately, you're using comedy to talk about some real shit. Because yeah, yeah, no one wants yeah. to hear the truth. Because yeah, you know? yeah. if you're going to tell someone the truth, you better make them laugh. right? Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. they'll kill you. Yeah, you know? right. so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, so the idea is that like, when, you, when, when, you, when, you, when, you're, when you're always in that mindset, like for me, like I, it was a point in our boondocks, for example, and I'm not speaking for anyone else, but for me, yeah. I would ha I'd have to mind comedy. Like, where do I mind this kind of comedy? I have to be reminded of the white power structure and systemic racism in the late 18 hundreds and European imperialism and, yeah. and this shit just like I'm like well wait a minute I'm supposed to be researching this but damn it's still this way this pisses me off yeah, yeah. you know what I mean like and I'm like when you think too much about a thing it's really easy to get angry yeah you know so when you do that for a long period of time and then when you put it out and it's good you you, you deal with the repercussions of that people are not ready to see that kind of comedy you know, people are uncomfortable with it when you do it in live action, like with the Red Foxes and the Richard Pryors and the yeah. Dave Chappelle's. But yeah. animation in America is such a, a sacred medium that's supposed to be for children that when you tell that kind of content, people just aren't used to it. Yeah. You know, and then you have this other veal, I believe, that no one really talks about yet, the culture of animation production in, in the studio system, you know. 
are we used to having an all-black production team talking about this stuff in the same so studio? Your, with was the, your production team all black? No, not at all. And that's the funny thing about it is that what our writing team was, you know what I mean? And our bosses were, yeah. you know what I'm yeah. saying? So um, because we outsource everything. So, you know what I mean? But my point was that, you know, when you when 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 you when you when you're in, when you're engrossed in, in 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 this sort of bubble of creativity, focusing on a specific con, uh, subject matter, you're either about that or you're not. And I felt like for me. I felt like doing it for so long, even though, even though even though I thought Black Dynamo was a bit more wackier, lighter, yeah. fair compared to Boondocks, yeah. it was still heavy stuff that we were tackling, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, when you do that for a long period of time, like you know, you, you have to be critical in order to mine that sort of anger, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, and then yeah. I launder that into comedy. Like, how do you make fun of something that's still happening today? Like, how do we make fun of you know uh, uh, disparages uh, disparaging a. Uh, uh, um, uh, comments about African Americans or like you know the prison industrial complex and you know the war on drugs and how racist that is how do you make a joke out of that you know what I mean and, yeah. and, and not yeah. be able you know so I just felt like after a while like being in that mindset when it was time for me to do my own thing I had two trailers that I had produced when I was in Korea one was something a little bit darker and another one was Cannon Busters and I said okay what should I do coming off the heels of Black Dynamite if I'm going to come out and use these shows as my credentials. Do I do something that's along those lines? Because that would be the safe bet, right? Let me do some more black, you know, urban comedy stuff, you know? I feel like particularly now when you've, you know, there's been a huge amount of conversation about all these killings and stuff that have been happening in the States, like the consciousness is so much more ready for something like that. They are, but, 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 but we're talking about 2D animation here. Mm. It's not like 2D animation is ready for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're not, we don't penetrate the market or the creative. We don't penetrate the, the, the mainstream industry that way for people to be okay with that. You know, there's still, there's so many variables that are affecting why you don't see a lot of that stuff. Mm. Um, so for me, like my, 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 my current situation is unique. In the last 10 years, I've contributed in some small way, small or large, you know, in my opinion, three of the most profound animated TV shows in the state starring characters of color, The Boondocks, Legend of Korra, yeah. and Black Dynamite. Yeah. I don't think anyone else shares that. I mean, I don't know anyone else who shares that yeah. that luxury with me. You know what I mean? And there's just something fascinating about that. So when it was time for me to do Cannon Buses, I was like, you know, so what do I do? Do I, do I, run, do I go the easy route? Do I do the... Do I, do I do the black comedy? Do I do the urban comedy thing? Because there's a market? Or do I do this weird, bright, hokey, <laughs> you know, like wacky anime shit? You know what I mean? And on top of that, I felt like, you know, and I, and I talked about this. I, I, felt, I, I was a bit, I needed a break. I felt like whenever we tell stories, at least from me, we don't do enough of it in animation. There's not a lot of animated, high-quality animated action shows starring characters of color, but whenever we do content, for me, largely, um, we're always on Earth. Yeah, yeah. You know, we never leave Earth, yo. And I talked about this before in another interview earlier this year, um, but we never leave Earth. We're always rooted in Earth. If we're superheroes, we're superheroes in the hood. In the hood, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah, if we're magicians, yeah. we're magicians in the hood. If we're anything, we're usually in the hood. And if we're not, we're usually talking about our struggle or the struggle, or our content has yeah. to be about the struggle. Um, or even our history, we're usually shackled by our history because there's so few opportunities for African Americans to be in that front light, that spotlight, that when we do, we feel like we're beholden to speaking for the entire collective consciousness of the black experience. So we feel like we have to 
we're the messengers. And if we're going to message anything, it needs to be serious. And people can disagree with me, but that's just kind of how I felt in the last 10, 15 years. So, you know, we never leave Earth, yo. Like, we never see ourselves as dragon slayers or magicians yeah. or flying to another planet or any of that stuff. It's always some hood shit. So for me, like, I looked at cannabuses as like, okay, here's my chance. And you find out that there's a lot of black kids, you know, if we're speaking particularly about people of color, that love anime. Yeah. yeah. They're crazy about this it's stuff. Not, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I would say that most kids are into anime in general. You know what I mean? It's just the, the studios in America aren't pumping that stuff out. So where do they go? They go online, right? They tour in it. They go. But if Anime Expo is any indication, if Anime Expo was more diverse than I've seen in San Diego Comic-Con. There's a lot of young black kids that like anime, but no one's making that stuff. Yeah. That's why Boondocks was so big, in my opinion. That's why Black Dynamite was so big. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, these kids yeah. see themselves in these cartoons, and they come once every five, ten years. So for me, it's like, if I'm going to do something, let me do that. Let me leave Earth for once. Let me. My characters are not going to be sitting around in a fantasy realm complaining about you know, yeah. why Black History Month is on the shortest month of the year. <laughs> like, that's not the kind of show I'm making. That's some boondock shit. That's some Black Dynamite shit. So I guess what, what am I saying? I'm saying that, you know, I, it's, this is my opportunity, I feel like, to take a break, to leave Earth. That doesn't mean I'm whitewashing my characters because some people think if you're not talking about stereotypical black stuff, you're white. You know what I mean? It's not, that, that line is not fine for me. Like, I have an opportunity to do something a bit more, a bit more unique, a bit more diverse that isn't rooted in... I'm talking about broad themes that touch in those aspects, but not so on the nose like you say. Like I'm not talking about satire in the show. It's a break for me. It's Does that make sense? It's, but, yeah, it's sure. interesting. Oh, sorry. Go on. Sorry, man. I was just gonna say, like, you, you look at someone like Game of Thrones. It's pretty fucking white, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's, there's, there's. I think there's space in you know fantasy is super popular. I think among, amongst everybody, yeah. and there's not a a lot of. Uh, varied representation in, in, in but my th my, th but my thing with that is that like here's my thing with that you know um, so what man like you know it, if, if you happen to have the opportunity look no one's complaining about why you know the prime minister of Japan is not you know African American yeah. you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying yeah, like yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying like yeah. it's like like if that's where you're from and that's what you make then do that you know what I mean I think that we hold these studios into this high regard of like this is what you owe us we have this consumer mindset yeah. where okay if it's on TV and it's all white folks then how come I'm not represented it's like well if you do the history you see how that company was formed you see what we were when they were making stuff. We weren't really allowed to participate in that or whatever the case may be. So I always look at it. It's, it's, it's up to us to figure out that. And, and I'm really careful about saying that because it's not as easy as us yeah, just yeah, doing yeah. it. There are yeah. other systems in place that, have, that, that allow we don't have the same head start as other people do. You know, But I do think that it starts with us educating ourselves and learning the process and then using those industry industry standard techniques to be able to produce our own stuff. But that is rooted in history and rooted yeah. in education and lack of information about how to become a good animation film director and yeah. what were your culture exposed to as a kid. Again, like when I was making, it goes back to our early conversation, my first exposure to like commercial art was comic books. Like yeah. they weren't selling light boxes in the hood. So how am I ever going to know about that stuff? And I don't see any African-American directors making cartoons and saying, hey, you know, here I am, and I yeah, did this cartoon. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know the director of Bebe's animation, director Bruce, of Bebe's Bruce kid, and, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and the creator of Proud Family was an African-American until I was much older. You know, Bruce Smith, one yeah. of my idols. I you think know? I found that out, like, 
very late, like yeah. way after I yeah. saw that. It just never occurred to me. Yeah, yeah. That, you, you know, know, and then it's like, you know, if you're from a small town and you don't have any experience with diversity, like, who am I to tell you you need to figure that out? You know, like, you, you're into what you're into, you know? It's, it's interesting what you were saying about, you know, like we never leave Earth. And yeah. I read, I, there was a book that Chris Rock did, like I read it years ago, and he was saying how it's the same in like music videos where it's like, you know, uh, uh, a white music video, you're leaving Earth, and it's very fantasy, whereas, you know, you see a lot of hip-hop videos, it's money and women, and it's like, if that's, you know, it's like you're not, I don't know, it's like you're just conforming to like a, a stereotype that makes yeah, sense? Yeah, you can, but look, those people exist, and it's yeah, yeah, valid, yeah, you know what I mean? That's yeah. my point. I, I'm I not guess saying it's I, invalid. Yeah, yeah, but, you know well, no, I mean? I, yeah, and yeah, yeah. thanks for yeah. correcting me, that's yeah. not what I mean. What I mean yeah. is that, I guess what I'm saying, there isn't as much balance, Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, in the types of, representation and that could be from uh, a myriad of reasons you know mm -hmm. what I mean so um, but generally as far as like my idea with this you know I'm a big fan of like Japanese role playing games I grew up on Squaresoft and yeah. you know Cannon Busters is me getting my Squaresoft on yeah, you know yeah, and my yeah. love of anime and that kind of stuff I just happen to be a person of color yeah. you know and I think people are not used to seeing that so you yeah. know I had a I had someone email me right when I launched the show I mean the Kickstarter they were like oh so why is your character why is your character, why do you have a black character and she has blonde hair? And I was like, well, I was just on your page, homie, and you got like photos of Nicki Minaj and Beyonce <laughs> and Erica Badu, and they all wearing blonde wigs, right? So why is it cool for you to like a real person with a blonde wig, but I can't make a fake cartoon robot character with blonde hair? Like, what are we talking about here, you know? Yeah. And it gets into a deeper discussion about like perceptions of acceptance and ideals of European uh, standards of beauty and how that's like kind of regurgitated to us through media, you know, mm -hmm. and like what's acceptable and what's not. You know, I played a safe route. I always, feel, I feel like I could at least, I, you know, I did Boondocks and Black Dynamite, not totally speaking ego, but when mm -hmm. I get around those people who like try to like sort of attack my credibility or integrity, yeah. I go, look, I did Boondocks and Black Dynamite. What yeah. have you done? I get to do my little fantasy shit. Can yeah, I do my fantasy yeah, yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Can I take a break? Can I have my time? You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 Let me yeah. get my little break off and then, you know, I'll come back and, you know, yeah. we can pump our fists in my next TV <laughs> show. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and not to belittle that struggle, but I'm just saying, yeah, like, yeah, people, yeah. it goes back to that consumer mindset. People feel like you owe them, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'm not, I mean, science fiction is, is not new to me. I've been reading Octavia Butler for a long time, you know, Wildsea, Kindred, like, and there's, there's tons of African-American science fiction novelists that's been around since the 20s, you know? Mm. Um, but it's not commonplace, and I think a lot of that is rooted in the idea of how African-Americans view themselves in media, you know, mm. collectively, you know? We just don't see ourselves leaving Earth. Yeah. And the people that make futuristic storylines, they don't see us in the future either. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah. watch a, a science fiction movie, where the brothers at? <laughs> How are you going to make a space station and not have any black people? You know some Mexicans is going to be building that shit. Somebody's got to keep it clean, right? Like, that's not a realistic future to me, you know what I'm saying? So... <laughs> You know, like, you come on, make, homie. You, you know, make that story, bro. Come on, man. Like, you going to the moon? We going to the moon, too, motherfucker. So, part of my friends, we're going to the moon, too, if you're going to the moon. Someone's got to keep that joint clean. You know what I'm saying? You know? Yeah. So, we're going to be around, man. Yeah, yeah, of course. If we're not screwing each other till we're all brown, we're going to at least be up there somewhere, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. no one liked After Earth, but when I saw that, I was like, yes! Oh, <laughs> With I, Will Smith. <laughs> That after her Will Smith so. move. I mean, look, no, I it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a particular entertainment movie, but I just thought it was cool that he tried to do that. You yeah, know, like yeah. that was really what I liked it more than anything yeah. else. It wasn't a great film, but the fact that he tried to do 
a science fiction space adventure, father and son space adventure. Yeah. I'd never seen anything like that in Hollywood. But it before. feels like Will Smith has always tried to tried do to do that, and that's what I always loved about Will. Smith. Yeah, yeah. That's what I yeah. loved about Will Smith. People like make fun of him, but I was like, yo, he's like. I've never if you want to see a, a a black gunslinger in a steampunk adventure movie, yeah. Will Smith is doing it with yeah. Wild Wild West. Like it yeah. wasn't a great film, but he was doing, doing that it. stuff, yeah, you yeah, know. Exactly. Like and like. We don't have a lot of opportunities to do that, so if it's I not wish good, he didn't turn down Matrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, yeah. I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, well. he did. He Is that did. Right? Yeah, he, he was Matrix. supposed to be Neo, but he turned it down. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, well, I he turned like, it down. Not I that think, I didn't like yeah, Keanu yeah. Reeves, but like, I was just like, oh man. But Will Smith, he was the he was a fight. He's fighting aliens from another planet. He's yeah. a gunslinger in a steampunk movie. He's yeah. he's a superhero in L.A. Like, Will Smith was one of those guys that was like. Really big and taking those really risque yeah. like roles, you know, because each yeah. of those movies could have ruined his career. You know what I mean? They yeah. were like very odd, high concept fantasy movies. You know, he could have stayed with the whole like, you know, you know, dangerous black man stereotype yeah, role, yeah, yeah. but he chose to go. Okay, let's imagine, let's dream, let's do this. Men in Black, you know, Wild Wild West, yeah. you know, Hancock, you know, yeah. even Independence with the, Day. Even with the love, um, I was the film. Uh, uh, Hitch. Oh, that was Hitch. Very you know, yeah, yeah, Hitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like, and and then what was that yeah. other movie where it was like, I can't remember. It was like I Robot. Yeah. You know, yeah. What I mean, like these are like these are roles that whenever I look at Will Smith, I know that this, it's rare that you're gonna get a movie that big. No one can get that kind of money invested in a science fiction movie and be a black lead. But yeah. Will Smith, for a time that he was that guy. Yeah. yeah. And look, say what you will about those films, they weren't great because we don't have a lot of good examples. You rarely get those opportunities. So you don't yeah. know what you're going to get with a Will Smith science fiction movie. Yeah. But the fact that he was trying to push those films was really important to me because it was like, okay, well, you know, yeah. for every glory, no disrespect to Denzel Washington, you yeah. have an <laughs> iRobot. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Or, yeah. or for every movie where... You know, you have the rich white family, you know, saving some poor black kid, you yeah. know what I mean, to yeah. empower themselves. You yeah. have, you know, iRobot, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so for me, like, as a kid, those things were very, very, very particular to me. And it's an uncomfortable conversation to have with a lot of people because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they, they're not, they, they want it to just be about entertainment. But we communicate through storytelling, right? And when you see things, you identify, you want to see yourself in these stories that you tell. It's very important. When you're used to seeing yourself everywhere, you don't see the value in that. You don't see what's the big deal when you're used to seeing yourself all the time. <clears throat> so it's like what we talked about yesterday. Yeah. You know, um, you have a, you know, and it's through no fault of anyone's own. It's just yeah, the way yeah, the course. world we live in. Yeah. But you have a, you know, when I, was on, when I was on YouTube, I'll never forget it. I posted, I did this series called Soul Sessions yeah, where yeah, it was just yeah. me and Korea going to different episodes. Uh, different episodes at different stages of production, and a couple of kids on YouTube were like, "Man, Lashawn, like you're totally. I can't believe you're doing this. Like you, you, you make me proud to be African American. I've never seen a black guy do this." And some guy like replied, "Like that's racist. Like it shouldn't be about black culture. We should just be people." Yeah. And and they got into this whole argument, yeah. you know, that degraded into cursing and name calling. Yeah, and then yeah. I hit him up and I said, "Listen, man, I said I get where you're coming from, but you gotta understand how." important it is for people to see themselves in the content they absorb. You yeah. know, like you can't belittle someone's value in seeing something to reinforce what makes them want to do something, you know. When you're a kid growing up in America, if you're African American, at least for me, and this is the last thing I'll say on this. Yeah. You grow up in 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 a society where the history is revisionist. You're learning a language that's not your original origin. You're learning a history that's not really real, you know, for the most part. Um you know, 
the people in your neighborhood don't own the businesses. The people in your neighborhood are the authority. They're the cops. They're your teachers. They write your books. They're the owners of the banks. They run the military. When you grow up in a world like that and you're not learning about who you are, by the time you're 18, you're kind of on your own, yo. Mm. And then when, how are you going to learn about yourself? You got to pay for it in college. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's like the game is rigged, yo, you know, for a lot of these kids. So it's important for them to see themselves in this stuff. If they don't see themselves in commercials, if they don't see themselves in positions of empowerment, you know, in storytelling and communication, then when something does like a Boondocks come along or Will Smith comes along, it's like, yes. And people who are used to seeing themselves everywhere, they're like, what's the big deal? Oh, you're making me feel uncomfortable, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, it's context, you know, it's like privilege versus whatever, you know. So I always try to be cool about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think it's important that we do that. But I, I don't necessarily think it's the people in power who have the head start's responsibility to do that. If they're going to yeah. do it, do it with integrity. Otherwise, we need to learn how to do this stuff so yeah, we can yeah. position ourselves through that too. And it comes from education and exposure, so which is what we don't have a lot of, yeah, yeah. particularly in animation. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, did that make sense? That made, that sense. made a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything else? You got any other is, this a, is this a good place to stop? I mean, it's up to you. I feel like there was a deafening silence. This is my this is my first time doing this. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, um, I don't know. I just want to say, you know, uh, Wesley, that I'm like I was really blown away by you know Super Turbo Atomic Ninja oh, Rabbit. Thank you, man. And to speak a little bit on on what I was just talking about earlier, it's like when I saw that and I saw that you were a guy of color, I was like, this is crazy because I'm not used to seeing that myself. I'm not used to seeing. Um, Execution at that level, at an industry standard level, being headed by someone. Yeah. You know, um, so for me, it like really struck a chord. I was like, how come I don't know who this guy is? Like, I shouldn't know who he is, you know? And when I found out he was in London, I was like, oh, okay, well, he's a Brit. Like, what do I know about British people? You know, what do I know about people from England, you know? Yeah. But, but then I learned that we have been corresponding for quite some time online. I just didn't know who you were. Yeah. You know, the yeah. Libra Bear, that was your handle. Right, yeah, you know yeah, yeah I mean? exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so. I, I, I love that. I thought it was really cool. It's one of my favorite things. And um, I think what you guys do at the line is pretty dope. So, it's, uh, it's thank cool you, man. Here, I mean, yeah. coming from you, that's really you know, you know it means a lot. So. Yeah, I mean, cool, to all man. of us, not just me, but you know, yeah. I mean, I, you guys humble me, well. man. It's always cool to be able to be around like-minded cats, you know, regardless yeah. of you know our background, you know, because yeah. there's yeah. there's one thing we have a shortage of is good stuff. You know, mediocrity yeah. is kind of the standard these days. Yeah, you know, so it pays, it sells, you know, but um, it's cool to be able to be around like-minded cats, you know, and like share our affinity for the good stuff. So awesome. yeah. But we can stop here if you want. Yeah. No, well, uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, yeah, like you know, thanks for hanging out with us in Comic Con, just being so generous with your time as well. Oh we no, know dude, you know I'm, I was, stuff, I was so. the minute I found out that I was coming to MCM, I emailed you right away and yeah, said, "Yo, yeah. I'm coming to London. Like, what are the odds that I find out about this project and then I find myself in this, you know?" And then when you told me you had a booth set up, I'm like, "Oh, we have to meet. Yeah, you know, yeah. I want to visit the studio, and you know." Yeah. So I'm, yeah, glad, I'm glad, glad you got to do that. Yeah, man. I'm glad we yeah. got to work that yeah, out. Yeah. So, and this, I'm sure this won't be the last time. So, cool. it'll be cool to like come back. Next year, I'm sure I'll be back here next year at some point. So, yeah, hopefully next year we're talking about you know Super Turbo Time and Ninja <laughs> Rabbit, man, as a series. You know, yeah. that'd be cool. So, yeah. cool. All right, man. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks, year, Wes. Yeah. Yeah. Next year. Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Yeah, Next yeah. Year. Oh, oh uh, are you saying that? Is that official? 
Uh-uh-uh, uh, don't say anything. It's a good time to cut. <laughs> say it now on the podcast. Sam's right? starting trouble. to do it. Sam putting dudes on the spot. What about, what about Indigo? <laughs> I'm, in charge of, I'm in charge of editing this. Get someone to do my voice. Everybody, Super Turbo Atomic Ninja Rabbit, sign up to the Kickstarter. It's happening. It will ha- listen, listen. No, no, look. It will happen no matter how I go about doing right, it. Right. It will happen. Yeah, it's good to hear. And that's official. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Okay. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Cool. Thank you.